So again, I have the pleasure of being with you. <laughs> Always nice to be with this group. I really appreciate the invitation to come here. Uh, and uh, tonight I wanted to talk about uh, the meditation practice itself. Um, just uh, uh, kind of giving a sense, uh, inviting some reflection on what it is that we're doing and why and what it, what it affects over time. I think it's very good to uh, contemplate this. Uh, certainly uh, for many years as uh, meditators, you know, you, you might find yourself uh, several years after your first meditation retreat just, you know, going, well, now, well what am I doing <laughs> and why and what's going on with all of this, you know. And, and, uh, and that's not uncommon and certainly not anything to be embarrassed about. I think uh, what the Buddhist teachings uh, and practices offer is really a radical shifting in our consciousness, a radical shifting in the way that we look at things. And uh, so you have to know that that is a process in itself and that it's going to take some time to understand what he's talking about and what it is affecting. So we turn to the, the main teaching on the meditation practice itself, the Satipatthana Sutta, uh, very important unbelievable the teaching. I, I think actually uh, from my perspective it's probably the most important sutta uh, in the Pali Canon. Um, and in fact, somebody, Ajahn Amarar said that, uh, I, I don't know his source for this, but he said at one time that um, towards the end of his life the Buddha said that he could have taught this um, teaching and nothing else. You know, and he could have spent his whole life you know, uh, just teaching this. That it was so rich and so important and so, uh, so profound. So, you know, uh, given that, it merits a lot of reflection. So, uh, I, don't, I won't go into a whole lot of detail about uh, what the teaching says. I'm trying to get more a sense of the, the feeling of it and what, it, what it's directing. Um, in, in my reflections tonight, but you know, just consider what goes on in the meditation practice. So, you sit down, and you know, the way he describes it is, you know, you you, you go into the forest, and sit at the root of a tree, set up mindfulness before you. That that's the the description. Uh, but, but the essence of that, just feel what's being said in that. In a way, it's an invitation to sort of withdraw from the usual everyday stuff and uh, establish yourself in a quiet place and in a quiet um, state of mind. You know, so uh, very important because I think uh, we often skip over. It's, it's like, you know, when you go, when he says set up mindfulness before you and then right away, and I think this is just us as Westerners, you know, we got, I got to be mindful. I got to get mindful. I got to look. I got to see what's going on, you know. And uh, we pick up on that setting up mindfulness before you bit, you know, and forget about the, you know, relaxing, withdrawing, getting settled, all of that, you know. And this is, it's very important to see the relationship between these two aspects of practice. You know, part of it is getting relaxed and settled and what that affects, you know, just feel that. What that affects is within a very short period of time, if you're actually getting settled, you begin to notice more. You know, so, so mindfulness is sort of like a byproduct <laughs> of samadhi. 
you know, mindfulness just happens. Um, and you, yeah, you can make it happen. But I like to come at it this way. It seems to be more what he's saying. Just uh, to me, it's a little easier just to settle down, um, let things uh, sort of let, let the fallout fall. You know, <laughs> let the events of the day and all of the things that you're thinking about just kind of settle out, and you know, relax, <laughs> be at ease. And then, lo and behold, you're noticing what's going on. And so one of the first things that you notice is that you're breathing. So you can, you can go and pick up the breath too soon before you've actually gotten settled and relaxed and before the um, awareness has, um, and the mindfulness has sort of uh, arisen of its own accord. Do you know what I mean? So, so just like noticing that um, can be very, very helpful because we ha- I think we have to understand mindfulness and concentration for ourselves very clearly. You know, it's, it's, don't worry about the, the, the techniques and what to do with them. Find out what they even are first. <laughs> Find out what the experience of being relaxed and aware is and learn how to um, settle within that. So then when we do that, and this is where the, the sutta is so uh, brilliant, I think. You know, you begin to notice that um, there's things going on in the body, you know, sensations. One of the first things you notice is the breath, for example. You might notice different um, things that are going on, like pain or discomfort, disease in the body. Uh, you begin to notice that there's a, a sort of a preoccupation in the mind with things that feel good and things that don't feel good. <laughs> Pleasure and pain, you know, we just, you can sit there the whole uh, meditation period and that's really all that you're doing is going back and forth between likes and dislikes, you know, ple- pleasures and pains in the mind. And um, you notice that there's um, a lot of thinking going on I mean, let's be honest, you know, <laughs> a lot of our meditation periods are just sitting here thinking about things, aren't they? You know, it's just that there's a lot of thought going on. So um, this is, uh, the, the Buddha is, is very clear on this. This is, um, these are the first three foundations of mindfulness. You begin to become aware of the body, you become aware of feeling, and you become aware of thought. You know, that's that's really all that's going on. That's really all there is. And so it's, it's interesting, you know, he's, he's kind of getting that on the table right here, right now. But in, in the unawakened state, or in a state of mind that is just sort of preoccupied with all of this, then what's going on is that um, there, all of the experience at those levels is just a huge muddle. You know, it's like we, we, we're, we're not even aware of discrete moments of sensation, feeling, and thought. They're just kind of all running into each other and creating reactive patterns. Um, you know, uh, we, get, we get completely caught up in it. It, it. It's a muddle. We don't see how um, one is leading to the other, to the other, you know. So like, like for example, you know, one of the rude awakenings on, when you go on retreat, or, or as you begin to meditate more in a, intensively, is that you, you begin to notice um, 
you know, uh, say for example, like w- one of the big events of the day is the meal, you know. <laughs> and so you go uh, to get your meal and, um, you know, with, you might have all the great intention of being present and alert and mindful and uh, attentive to that process. But, you know, soon as you approach the, the, the dining hall, you smell things, you know, you start you start thinking about the things that it might be, or you, you look at things and things that you like, you know, <laughs> and then uh, the mind starts to proliferate about all of this. And, you know, y- y- before you know it, you're at the end of the food line with this huge, you know, <laughs> it's like, where'd all this food come from, you know? <laughs> it, it's like, a, you know, there's just a, a building and a proliferating about experience where, you know, it's sort of like living life, in essence, on automatic pilot. You know, it's just what's driving the mechanism is um, not seeing and discerning the discrete aspects of experience that, you know, I smelled something, I liked it, and I thought, great, let me get more, you know. All of that just kind of blurs together, doesn't it? And, and you know, you kind of, we're living life on automatic pilot, you know. Or like, uh, you know, uh, another example might be like if you're, sometimes uh, you might notice, for example, there's, uh, or maybe you don't notice that uh, there's um, some kind of subtle, uh, small pain in the body. And, uh, you know, you find yourself in a grumpy mood, you know, irritated. Or maybe you didn't get enough sleep, you know, and, and automatically that's experienced as an unpleasant state. And, um, and then we go on about it, you know, and, and, and the mind is actually moves, in, moves into a mood about a condition because it's not seeing what's going on, you know. You just, essentially, uh, in the unawakened state, we're just at the mercy of this constant stream of sensations, feelings, and thoughts, and, and the, the content of the, the thoughts and um, a lot of it is um, greed, hatred and delusion. You know, a lot of it is grabbing hold of experience, hating it, wanting more of it and just ignoring it. So, I mean, that's the condition. That's what we find ourselves in. So, just with these, with meditation, just consider what this instruction is saying. He's, um, the Buddha is pointing to these discrete aspects of experience, sensations, feelings, and thoughts, and inviting a a new way of being with that, inviting us to just um, notice. The language of the sutta is uh, see um, the body as the body, see feeling as feeling, seeing thought or mental phenomenon as that, you know, it's an interesting choice of words. But what he's saying is, don't make it more than that. Just, can you, can you whittle down um, experience and, and separate it out into its discrete uh, parts? And just learn to, to leave it at that. Let things take place at the level at which they're happening. So one of the words, one of the, the language that he uses is to sort of leave it in its own domain. <laughs> you know, this is a physical event. So 
yeah, it might be pleasant, and yeah, that might make me think I want more, but that's actually not what's going on with eating, for example. You know, eating is, a, is an experience that has to do with nourishing the body. It's pleasant, and when it's pleasant, we pig out, you know, <laughs> and then we suffer. <laughs> so the idea is to kind of unravel that. Yeah, can you see the different bits that are going on in that so that we're not at the mercy of it? So, that, you know, the, the mercy of our patterns and habits and impulses, these reactive patterns to our experience. So, see the body as the body, see feeling as feeling, see uh, mental phenomena as mental phenomena. And, and just that, I mean, really, if that's what, if that's as far as we go with our understanding of the Buddha's instruction and the meditation, it, it's huge. <laughs> that would be huge just to um, let experience be what it is, you know, it, without getting caught. And if you can just feel that, there's a tremendous uh, peace that would begin to be established in our being. You know, you don't. You don't have to go bonkers over things that are unpleasant, you do not to become uh, piggy or coarse about things that are um, pleasant, and not to get lost in constant proliferative states, but just seeing them as that much. Now, you know, to me, what, you know, gradually over the months and years of practice, you know, uh, even if you're only applying yourself a little bit, You've got to be noticing that um, there is a, a, a lot more sense of uh, relaxed, accepting, easeful uh, moods in the mind. And a lot of it is just coming from sorting out experience at these levels. You know, if you, could, if you do that, you, just, you get to a place where you just chill out and you accept life <laughs> on its terms. Sometimes it's pleasant, sometimes it's not. Sometimes there's this sensation, then it's going to go away. You know, even our own mental states. Sometimes we get in these crazy states of mind, but they're just that. They're just a risen phenomenon, and they move through the system if you don't grab hold. So, I mean, that, that's huge, just noticing that. But, um, and, and, and it's interesting, consider what um, the mechanism that's operating in all of that. What, what he's actually setting up, setting up in this kind of training is the, the cultivation, the development of a new way of relating to these discrete aspects of our experience. And that way is like to, to, to know our experience more objectively, to know it with more detachment, you know, to know it in a more um, impartial way. Can you feel that? And, and so that, um, the interesting thing is, I think a lot of people, we can get crazy ideas about a detachment or non-attachment, you know, as an, as an idea in our Western mindset that connotes this sense of um, like an indifference, you know, or, oh, I'm not attached, you know, that um, I, I, I'm, not, uh, I'm not moved by that experience, you know. And, uh, but really, that's not, that's not what is being affected at all. Just notice in your own practice what, what the actual experience of non-attachment is. 
and what it affects. Because it, it, far from being something that separates you from experience, it actually uh, connects us with what's happening. You're actually, what you're detaching from is making more of it than it is. So that non-attachment or detachment, whatever word you choose, the, the effect of that is to feel it, to be with life, to connect. Can you feel it? It's like you're, you're actually in it more fully. So, I mean, that's far out. You know, what he's affecting is a presence, a presence of mind, a capacity to not quarrel with what's going on, <laughs> you know, just to, to let it be, and feel it, to know it, and, and not have a quarrel with it. I just find that um, a very good, a very helpful reflection, just that in and of itself. So um, then consider, over the months and years of practice, what that new relationship with our experience is going to affect. It, uh, one of the main things you notice as a meditator is that you are going to begin to free up a tremendous amount of energy. <laughs> it's like it takes so much energy to be out to lunch, you know? It, it, it takes so much energy to constantly be grabbing at things and going on about what's happening and fighting it and resisting it and wanting more of it, you know? I mean, that's where we live most of the time. Let's be honest, that's, that's where we are. So, you know, this, the practice is affecting a um, release of that pattern, patterning, that way of being with things. And, you know, in a way, I mean, some people report it's a little scary how much energy you begin to have, you know, <laughs> because you're not, uh, we're not so preoccupied. So, uh, you know, uh, just one of, the, one of the things I've noticed on this is that um, that uh, another way of saying that is that uh, what you're freeing up is self-absorption. You know, what you're, re- what you're breaking away from is the habit of being preoccupied with what's going on with your body and mind. You know, that, that's self-absorption. Buddha, Buddha called it self-view, uh, you know. And uh, that is a cause of tremendous suffering in our experience. So, you know, we, you're actually uh, breaking that habit of self-absorption. And it's like the, the capacity of the mind to uh, be picking up things all the time and caught up in it. So here again, you know, that will free up a, a, a tremendous amount of energy. And uh, the effect of that is that um, you begin uh, to look at the mind from a whole different vantage point. You know, if we're not preoccupied with the content of it, then what happens is we, we, it enables a, a dropping out of um, experience or being preoccupied with experience so that one can look at it. You know, if, if, you, if you can't stop thinking about things, then you can't know thought. You know, 
if you can't stop being preoccupied with things that are ple- with pleasure and pain, then you can't know pleasure and pain. But the, the mind has the capacity to, to know what's going on within itself. I mean, this is so far out. I mean, it, it, this, is, this is one of the qualities that, that makes human birth so incredibly fortunate. You know, the Buddha talked a lot about human birth being extremely fortunate. Uh, and uh, why that is, is that it's almost as if um, we, because of our apparatus, because of the way this mind and body operate, we're hardwired for enlightenment. You know, you, 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 you've got the hardware. And that hardware is that this mind, it's the weirdest thing, but it has the capacity to look at itself. It has the capacity to know what is going on within its own experience. You know, that, that, that's wild. And so what we're freeing up is that capacity because we're, we're, we're going to use that um, to reflect and to come to understand for, for insight. But essentially, as long as self-view is strong, that reflective quality, it's the same mechanism. It's completely used up thinking about ourselves. It's, it's like completely um, exhausted in that um, endeavor. So now, um, through this process of the first three foundations of mindfulness, separating out from experience at these levels, we have freed that up. And what it enables, and what gets engaged then, is like the mind starts to go, and what what's going on here? (laughs) How did I I get in this hateful state? You know? Up until that point, we're not doing that. You know, we're just just in it. (laughs) You know, hateful states come up and you're completely at the mercy of it. You just, all you can do is hate. All you can do is be angry. All you can do is be greedy or restless or anxious, stressed out, slothful confused. You know, the hindrances are really what dominate our experience. So, uh, but now, if even just a little bit is moved to a more detached perspective, then you will automatically begin to reflect on what your experience is. And that's where the fourth foundation comes in, the fourth foundation of mindfulness is, to me, equals insight, <laughs> equals reflection, equals understanding. You know, it's not like it, it's, it's, not, it's happening all along because the mind will do this, but um, it, it's really going to be freed up. The mind will really be freed up to, to know itself and to understand uh, the more that we're able to be with um, the body and mind a little bit more impartially, right? So, uh, just just consider, you know, uh, this capacity of reflection. One of the the reasons why I love the the teachings of Ajahn Chah is this is a a big cornerstone of his teaching. You know, uh, all of the disciples of Ajahn Chah, very, very um, attuned to, aware of, and and make very good use of the the, uh, contemplation, 
reflection, this capacity that we have as human beings. And, and we mean it really in the, the two senses of the word. You know, you, you think of reflection like uh, you look in a mirror and you see yourself, you know. <laughs> That's a reflection. You're seeing, you know. So it's making use of this capacity of the mind to see itself. You know, so you reflect, uh, or use that, use that capacity. But then also we, we think of reflection as, um, you know, um, in a way, considering, you know, <laughs> thinking about things, reflecting upon it, you know, so that uh, in that sense, then um, think thought, a certain kind of thought is, is very much within the meditation practice. You know, we're not trying not to think, but trying to um, use thought skillfully. And, and when it's not self-absorbed, it can be quite skillful. You know, it's, it's, we, we do this all the time. So it's not, it's not foreign. It's not something you don't know about. You already know about this. It's that, that bit that's sort of wondering what's hap- how it's happening, how things are happening, and trying to figure things out. It's kind of impartial. has that impartial quality, right? So you want to... Uh, the, the practice will engage that. And it will engage it um, in the interest of uncovering how it is that we're suffering and how to get out of it. You know, that, that learn seeing for ourselves the Four Noble Truths. So that in the, in the uh, fourth foundation of mindfulness, the Buddha lists um, a number of things that essentially um, we come to see for ourselves. You know, one is um, the five hindrances. Uh, and, and the way that it's described is um, you know a mind that is caught in a hindrance. You know how it got there. You know what it takes to get out of it. You know what it takes to stay out of it. And you know what you have to do to prevent it from coming up again. <laughs> it's so practical. It's so simple. But isn't that what you're doing? Isn't that what we're doing all of the time through, through this process of waking up? It's like, oh man, how do, how did I get so angry? Okay, okay, I see what I did. I didn't like what she said. I went bonkers about it. I couldn't let it go. It just kept feeding itself and feeding itself and feeding itself. And as soon as I saw that and understood it as a phenomenon, the whole thing went away. Or I learned that I couldn't control it, and so I just tried different things like paying attention to something else or, uh, you know, just trying to push it down in some way or just slow the whole thing down. If I could just get a little bearing here, if I could just slow it down, I could see the process, you know. This is all um, part of the instruction that he gives through various suttas. So, um, you know, he talks about coming to understand that. He talks about coming to uh, see for ourselves the factors of enlightenment, which are these beautiful seven qualities that are present in the mind of uh, when when we're um, even modestly awake, you know, uh, so that you know you begin to see that wow, you know, when I'm relaxed, um, at ease, when I'm able to pay attention, when it doesn't matter whether this is happening or that is happening, 
when I'm interested in what's going on, there's a certain delight in my heart and I can see clearly. It's not like these lofty states. It's any moment when that's happening, when we're seeing in that way, the factors of enlightenment. They're right there. You can see them. He talks about understanding the sense spaces so that you begin to uh, see for yourselves that um, you know, how uh, the, uh, sort of not noticing what's going on, say, for example, at the eye, with the eye, it can, be, can lead us into all kinds of trouble. You know, you're driving down the street, minding your own business, and you, there's a, a Pizza Hut sign, you know, <laughs> and um, you only, only sort of vaguely notice that it's there. And then for the next two days, you can't get pizza off your mind. You know, and you got to, what's the matter with me? I'm obsessed with getting a pizza. But we didn't see it. We didn't see that the eye sees things and um, the things that we like, and that liking leads to clinging. Didn't, didn't see those discrete bits um, in those kinds of moments, you know. So it's very important to begin to notice what's happening at all the sense doors, you know. And then he talks about understanding um, the Four Noble Truths. You know, that there, there is, there is um, difficulty um, and that there's a way of relating to life when we don't get that, that is going to make us suffer even more. You know, we, we're actually uncovering this through our practice, seeing for ourselves very clearly, um, essentially, what the Buddha saw. <laughs> you know, that's, that's what's happening. So it's very, very important, I think, to um, consider uh, and contemplate uh, the gist of practice. You know, what, this, is, this, is what he, this is what the meditation instruction is. And this is what it's affecting. And the more that we understand that, then the um, easier it's going to be to do um, and uh, the more effective it's going to be. And while it, we're in the process, perhaps, of, of garnering that kind of understanding, um, just to have some faith, you know. Have some faith in uh, the Buddha, the Dhamma, and the Sangha, which is the fact that it can be done, you know. The fact that people have done this before us. Um, and let that carry us. You know, let that carry us for a while until we see these things for ourselves. This is very important. So I want to leave some time to see if you have some questions. I had a few more thoughts, but I'm I'm inclined to stop right here and see if there's uh, anything that you want to reflect upon or um, offer uh, your own thoughts or questions. Yeah? Do you want to do the microphone? They usually pass the microphone for the questions, if you like. Oh, no, sorry. Oh, sorry. Okay. That's good. That's good. Yeah. I've been meditating now, and, and I'm just wondering, you know, 
Is that like natural byproducts of this practice? I mean, do you use sesquiet and people use yeah, I guess it depends on what the question is about whether you see personality changes or, um, um, you know, if it's a byproduct. Um, it's funny. I think some of it depends on how you mean personality. I think in a way, aspects of our personality don't change very much at all, you know, <laughs> and even with, even with uh, meditation. And... Um, you know, there's certain like bits about each of us that, you know, I like certain things, you like other things. I don't like certain things, you don't like other uh, different things. You know, um, and uh, I know that stuff doesn't change that much. But what will change um, dramatically is what I do when those likes and dislikes come up. So that um, maybe what you're describing is that when it comes to um, harmful or extreme likes and dislikes, those soften tremendously, you know, because you see the harm of grabbing, you see the harm of craving, and the craving gets overcome. So um, I, I think uh, whether it's a personality change or not, you know, I, I think you see a, 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 an essential softening, relaxing. So that, yeah, if your personality was anxious and confused, those kinds of extremes are probably going to change. But in terms of more uh, fundamental likes and dislikes and inclinations, those probably aren't going to change that much. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That feels right, too, because I was Right, right, right. Yeah, like I, I, you know, I noticed one time, I I think I might have even told this story here, but um, rather than go into a long story, but just watching over the time of a retreat, my relationship with the cups and the bowls right before the food line. And and like, you know, going through this this incredible, um, dramatic change in that relationship, you know. It's like just at at the beginning, having to have certain ones because I loved them and they were beautiful and I wanted to eat off of those, you know. And that just just a, a manifestation of what is essentially a piggy nature in me, you know. It's like greedy. I just want the beautiful things, you know. And then, um, you know, just being at the mercy of that, not seeing that at all for a long time. Just, you know, that that's the way I want. I want that, you know. And then beginning to see it and um, being irritated by it. I hated that I was doing that and wanted to make myself stop doing that. So then going through this process of picking the ugliest one, making myself eat off the ugliest thing, you know, which is like me trying to control and trying to do the practice, trying to manage it, trying to make myself be the right way, still off. You know, but a, but a step in the right direction, and then you know, uh, this is over months. This is over many months. You know, and, and then gradually, um, uh, just wanting the whole thing to go away. You know, just uh, I'd come to the line, and it'd be like, oh, here it comes. You know, <laughs> I'm gonna have to go. Through, I'm gonna have to listen to this bit again. That wants that cup. I'm so sick of this. You know. 
and you just get sick of the whole thing after a while. You know, it's, oh, I, I don't care how I am. You know, if I want it, if I don't want it, just shut up, that kind of thing. And, and then um, ultimately coming to a place where it's like, you, you, I'm more at peace with it. And it's like uh, what, what I came to in the end was that I like pretty things. You know, it's just a much, it's like, well, that's okay. They don't make a problem out of it. It's a beautiful cup. You know, it's why we have museums and, you know, beautiful things. It's gorgeous. But if I have to have it, then I'm suffering. You know, so that's the kind of thing that this uh, change in relationship affects over time. So, yeah, you see a change in my manner. But I still like pretty things. (laughs) Yes. Yes. I'd like your opinion. Um, what you described in the Satipatthana Sutra is typical with, I think, 99.9 or 100% of all the teachers I've heard talk about the Satipatthana Sutra. But if you read the Sutra, especially the first part of mindfulness of the body, the Buddha spends a lot of time talking about Mm-hmm. And what's your opinion on that being left out for Westerners? Who are we missing out on? Um, well, it, it isn't left out, and uh, a lot, a lot of teachers don't leave it out. Uh, some do, are you saying? Some. Actually, all the ones I have heard. Oh yeah. Go to the monastery. <laughs> <laughs> they don't leave it out. <laughs> it's big time. <laughs> Um, but maybe it's maybe if that's true, there could be a sense that we don't understand it, or we don't want, um, or it's too harsh, you know. But basically, what the Buddha is getting at with that is that you know, if you really getting impartial towards the body, it's hard. You know, if you want to help that along, then um, do some reflection on what it really is. You know, <laughs> it's like. So there's this, you know, bit in there that uh, part of what gives Buddhism a bad name in some circles, but, you know, where he lists what he calls the 32 parts of the body. And this is, this is what we're so uh, infatuated with, you know, bile, pus, uh, feces, urine, uh, blood, you know, <laughs> and the list goes on, 32 parts, you know, bones, marrow, all of this, and uh, teeth, the brain, you know. These, and some not very pleasant, you know. So it, it's really an invitation to, I mean, let's get the thing in perspective here, you know. <laughs> this, is, this is actually what it's made up of. So that's, it's very helpful um, if there is an extreme, particularly with people who have an extreme fascination with theirs or other people's bodies. You know, that's going to help a lot. Just contemplate like that. Or death. I mean, Ajahn Chah said that, uh, you know, if you, if you don't understand death, then life is going to be a real problem. You know, so, I mean, in terms of the, the body, the identification with the body and thinking that we are this body, you know, if, that, if, you're going to, if we're going to believe that, 
then death is frightening. You know, but it, it included in the meditation practice is a process whereby we we will come to see that this is not who we are. And then, and part of it to help that one along is the uh, meditations on the uh, the body as it goes through decomposition. I, I think they, they're, they're, that we would probably benefit from that, but I don't quite think that um, America is ready for it. <laughs> Maybe we'll get that another 50 years or so. That'll be taught more frequently. Yes? So one thing I think sometimes about is about the, the kind of relaxing, being able to take a relaxed view of life is often seems to me really at odds with, with, with the culture. Mm-hmm. You know, sort of like, I think that's often the interesting thing is how you, like the, the clash between the society and the culture and society. And yeah. Yeah, you got to hurry up. But I guess, you know, our, our culture seems to breed restlessness and anxiety. Yeah. I mean, God forbid you should have a moment where there's nothing happening. You know? <laughs> it's like, wait a minute. I mean, one of the things I, I would watch myself with the remote control. I mean, that's one of the one of the good ways to see it, you know, sitting there watching the television. And that thing has got two about two and a half seconds to engage me before it. I annihilate it and go to the <laughs> go to the next st- station, you know. And it seems to me that people are tailgating more than ever these days. Like used to be, you could drive somewhere and you wouldn't have constantly people on your phone. But now it seems that we just get it out more and more. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank goodness we have centers like this and yeah. people like this, yeah. you know, to to balance that. Yeah. Very good. Yes. This is a little along what you talked about earlier, but um, when you're trying to break habits that you know are unhelpful, and you can't, you know, the intellectual understanding is very clear, but the practicality of actually getting something up is really hard to achieve. So it seemed to me what you were saying, that what you did was to actually force yourself Hmm, yeah. Um, so is, is that a practical way to try to, in other kind of venues? Um, um, I guess I've tried that a little bit, but an incredible amount will arise around that, giving up of something, and trying to then deal with that when you're not in a situation where you can sit down and meditate that. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because, um, you know, when you have a, a, a state of mind or a way of being that is doing harm to self or others, um, and, and just if you're suffering a lot with it, then obviously the, the, the sensible thing is that we want to get free of it. But I think that the Buddhist practice, uh, while it certainly offers uh, ways to in a way, make yourself stop doing that, you know, so that there are sort of things that, you know, there's one sutta, for example, where he says, um, think of something else, or 
um, replace it with its opposite or you know he, he offers different techniques for um, really making yourself stop doing it in the moment and especially that's especially important when things are very harmful but ultimately I think he also says um, that that is not ultimately going to free you that the, 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 the freedom comes through direct knowledge through direct experience and so it's coming whether we're aware of it or not through um, being in the experience of it and being aware in, within the experience of it so um, if it's harmful and we're aware of it we will start to incline away if it's uh, good for us and we're aware of it we'll start to incline towards it but this is all happening at a very subtle feeling intuitive level Ajahn Sumedho just has a new book out called Intuitive Awareness it's direct knowledge through um, direct experience and that is always how change is actually taking place so, but I think it points to a, a very important thing like in the meditation whether, it's whether you're sitting on the cushion or um, throughout the course of the day uh, one of the things that I hear a lot in uh, talking to people about their practice is a, a concern that not much is happening they don't think that change is taking place you know, fast enough I'm still doing it I'm still doing it, you know, what's the matter with me? Why am I still doing it? And uh, this is really important to get. If, 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 if we can get this, it can be extremely helpful. And that is that a lot more is happening than you think. You know, it, it, you're sitting on the cushion or you're in daily life and you're, you, you know, you think, I'm still doing it, I'm still doing it, I'm still doing it. But part of you is not doing it and, and it feels like you're completely caught up you know it feels like we're com- completely you know it's like you sit here and you can see yourself in that fantasy and you can't stop getting being in that fantasy and you want to stop fantasizing or, or you want to stop building that vendetta against that person or per- going over and over again that difficult situation you know why can't I stop doing it so it, it feels like nothing much is happening but uh, a lot of you is not engaged you think you are but you're not it, it, it's like you, it can feel like you're just feeding it sitting there in that state over and over again you know but it's a bit of you that knows that you're in it is getting bigger and, and I offer just as evidence of this, as, you know, as, a, as a, a fruit of practice, I would venture to say that virtually everybody in the room has had this experience where all of a sudden one day the situation comes up and you're not reacting the same way. It seems like all of a sudden, it seems like overnight you've had some change and there's like a hole in your old way of doing it you know you used to always be crazy in this situation and right now you're not you know that's how um, practice plays out 
it's almost like its, it's system is tweaking itself even out of these moments where we feel like we're just sort of vaguely aware. It's getting it. The mind is getting it. You know, more of us knows that this is painful than we think. And, and more of us is inclining away from it than we think. And trust that. I mean, if, you, if you really don't believe anything else I've said tonight, you just trust that. It, it really is working. Because what ha- will happen if you don't trust that is then you, we can give up before we've let the, the practice uh, do itself, before we've let the fruits of practice um, appear. You know, you have to have a lot of faith in the beginning because you don't see those little shifts. But they do happen. One, one of my teachers said that, um, he, he, he said 90, the practice is about um, 10% doing and about 90% being done on. <laughs> <laughs> and that's it, that's it. You know, sitting there and just enduring the states that we go through. Right? And, and the 10% doing is more just sitting through it. It's not like making it stop. The 10% doing is just enduring it. And with even just an inkling of awareness. Right? It'll start to shift. What else? This is maybe a little off track, but um, yeah. I'm doing a program called The Artist's Way. Mm. You do a lot of writing, mm. and so you do three takes every morning, and they talk about it as a kind of meditative state. And I notice if I can do the writing and meditate in the morning, it's really great. Mm. And for, it takes a long time sometimes. So just the writing itself seems to have a similar effect. Do you have a comment on that? The writing has the same effect as the meditation? Similar, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It, you just said it. That's what it's doing. It, it, it's like um, um, you lose the censor. You lose the commenter. You lose the internal editor, the one that likes and doesn't like everything that's going on, and you just do. That's meditation. <laughs> 